Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. <laughs> oh, I knew it. You were going to put me on just as I was hacking and coughing. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> How you doing? Ah, yes, a dreary, rainy July 8th it is. Um, man, I got to tell you, this uh, weather stuff with the uh, increasing severity of these storms, I don't think there's a tree in my neighborhood that hasn't been shorn of uh, sizable. Not we're talking, not talking twigs. After these things, I go out and there's big hunks of these beautiful old trees lying all over the road. I saw one on top of three cars right next to where Mr. Rogers raised his family. Stuff blowing off tree of life. It was all over the road. It was really, I mean, my gosh, I so feel for it. I mean, trees as they are, are so necessary to help with global warming, right? And global climate. Let's just call it climate crisis. I heard Biden say that the other day. I think that's a good, we got a bit of global warming, climate change, climate crisis. Uh, There is no way. That it should be 120 some degrees in uh, what Saskatchewan? Where was that? In Canada, 118 degrees in the in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, that's according to uh, climate scientists. The odds of that are absolutely. It's not like once in a millennium. It's <laughs> they they they. There was a front page story in the Times today saying that you talk to climate scientists about what happened uh, in the last few weeks, and they they really don't have words. Uh, And it makes them concerned that their, their prognostications and what they have been telling us we're heading into might not in fact be grim enough. So, you know, this, this, this is the biggie. All our other issues, problems, they're going to amount to nothing because this one sort of like a pandemic is a global, it will impact every body on this planet and not in a good way. So do you ever think, I mean, I wonder about the animals uh, too. God help them. Too bad they were living on the same same real estate as us homo sapiens because we sure made a mess. And every time one of those trees goes down, so do the, does the, 
squirrels, birds lose their lose their homes as well. Can you imagine? I don't know. I it's it's something. It's something. All I'm saying. And I don't talk about it a lot because I'm not. I mean, I'm not a scientist, and I'm also uh, fully aware that I that this is probably the largest issue. You talk to anybody uh, under the age of 35, and you ask them what's the biggest issue in the in their minds, thing that concerns them the most. And I think it's almost, uh, you know, a unanimous, unanimous response. Just saying. Want to head back to a story I mentioned on Tuesday, an incredible, unbelievable story that Henry has written, he thinks is unbelievable, even though I found it in a reputable media outlet, The Week. And here's what Henry said, just passing it on to you. The story about the Australian woman waking up with the Irish accent, well, she came out of anesthesia after a tonsil operation. And uh, she's an Australian woman of Asian descent, and all of a sudden she was talking with a thick Irish brogue. And doctors said, uh, could be she's going to speak with that brogue the rest of her life. Henry says, this is fascinating. It's also unbelievable. What better way to develop a following on TikTok than to make up a story like this? Well, I'm not, I don't know that it, I don't think it originated on TikTok, Henry, but whatever. The article says, it, he he says, well, I don't know what article he's talking about, but he says this, which he found in an article, foreign accent syndrome is a thing. Foreign accent syndrome most commonly occurs following a head injury, a stroke, or some other type of damage to the brain. Well, that's according to something called health line. This is extremely rare. SARS is known only about 100 people are diagnosed with <laughs> foreign accent syndrome. Uh, since the first known case was uh, was acknowledged in 1907. So in more than 100 years, just about 100 people worldwide have been diagnosed with this. <laughs> um, Henry says, that's just too rare to be real. Oh, I, he says, I'd like to know if it's a legitimate Irish accent or a fake one. What do the Irish have to say about this? I don't know what the Irish have to say about it. <laughs> Do they think it's a, a, a well? I have to tell you, it, it, a woman I know, 
who lives in uh, in uh, Clareton, um, suffered a, 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 a near fatal uh, episode in which she ended up uh, in the ICU and by all accounts was not expected to survive. I, I, I just saw her yesterday, so I can tell you she did. <laughs> we had a good time together yesterday. But she, her memory of it is she's one of these people now who says that she felt that she died. And that was her experience. Uh, of of feeling herself, you know, outside her own body and all that kind of thing. What she doesn't remember is something that she was told after she uh, came back into the world. And that was that she was speaking in her delirium in Yiddish, which one of the doctors uh, recognized. And here's the thing. <laughs> she can't speak Yiddish. And I mean, the story ever since then, I mean, she's gotten her, I, I said, you got to get your, it turns out, no, she does have some, she heard Yiddish. She was not raised as a Jew, but one of her grandmothers must have been. She remembers her very little, but as a child, she remembers this, what she thought of as a scary old woman <laughs> in in the house who uh, spoke in this strange language that she didn't understand, but that her father would seem to. Anyway, it must have been Yiddish. And unbeknownst to her, she must have what? Picked it up? I don't know. I'm just saying. The human brain is, uh, when it's functioning, is capable of astonishing, uh, strange things that, you know, that belie our sense of of maybe who we are or what we know, or I, I don't know. So I, I'm just saying there are these mysterious things that happen when a body is in, uh, in extremis. Is that a proper use of that? Is a, it, I mean, it, it just... So, just saying. I was trying to teach her a few Yiddish words. <laughs> and we ended up, you know, just laughing because Yiddish is such a wondrous uh, language. So, uh, I can't speak it either, but it's uh, so many of the words have made their way into English because they're so they're they're so onomatopoeically just perfect. You know, like to sweat is to schwitz. 
And then, of course, I don't know what word. The word I hear people uh, misuse all the time is kibitz. Uh, to uh, to talk, uh, but it's astonishing the number of of Yiddish words that have have made their way. The great ones are those SCH ones, uh, SCHL often do four or SCHM four consonants in a row ones. Schmutz, schmata. Schlemiel, schlemazel, right? What great words. You don't even have to. I remember when my father and grandmother would um, speak uh, Yiddish to each other and uh, and maybe tell a joke. I mean, I would laugh. I didn't have a clue what they were saying, usually. But it just sounded funny. So, all I'm saying. Anyway, yeah, so it turns out her father had to have been a, a Jew, even though she was not raised as a, as a Jew. But uh, I'm telling you, there she was talking Yiddish. Who knows? Now, let's see. Let's um let's do some stuff today. Uh I got so many different directions I can go in here. Um let me start with 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 this, I mean from the business section. And uh it says that next door is going public. Now, Nextdoor, for those of you who don't know, is an an app that you can have on your phone or I guess on your computer and it 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 allows neighborhood uh neighborhoods people to uh you know, interact to uh, talk to each other. It started up in 2011 and it was essentially considered to be something like sort of Facebook for neighborhoods where, you know, you 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 joined and said, hi, here I am. I'm a neighbor. And uh, and then you could just not ever again say another word, but you were privy to what other people were saying. And I mean, I found it helpful for things like, you know, you know, is your are your lights out? Do you have electricity? Uh, or watch out, uh, wire wires down on such and such a street. Believe me, I mean that kind of thing is is really helpful. Uh, or you know, your dog is lost, or I found this cat. So that's what it to me is is helpful with people can uh, have items they want to sell and they'll post them. But man, I didn't realize that this has become a big, big, big thing. Uh, there are now um, over a quarter of a million neighborhoods uh, that use this tool. 
in um, 11 countries throughout the world. And so the folks who invented it are going to go public. So I guess you'll be able to, to buy shares in it. Um, I don't know. Now, I bring it up because I had wanted to talk. I've wanted to mention it a few times because – and those of you who who do belong to Nextdoor, doesn't cost anything. You can just join it. Um, would obviously probably have noticed the same thing I have, which is that the general – incivility that is rampant in our in our country now sadly uh seems to be apparent more and more on next door so people are not necessarily behaving in what i would call an, a neighborly <laughs> manner and some of the i mean i now look at it to find these rants, uh, people losing it over absolutely nothing that deserves that level of outrage. And it, it just now has become a mirror of uh, so much that's both wrong and right, because you do also see stories of people helping people. Some woman posted the other day that she needed a half a gallon of milk. And I swear, two other people immediately said, I can get it for you. <laughs> and maybe they knew her. I don't know. But why wouldn't you just call a person if you needed a half? I, it's odd. I mean, to me, it's odd. But then other people write in saying, oh, what a wonderful person you are to help somebody like that. And of course, it makes Others feel like jerks because you you didn't think for a minute to get the woman some milk. You thought, what the hell are you asking for milk here on this app? Who are you? I, so um, I mentioned this to a friend and she said, yeah, she's noticed it too about how th that people – I think the way she put it is – it seems like the default position of so many people now is to immediately assume ill intent so that if somebody – and this was one of the little ones we were talking about – some woman posted a picture of a car that was partially blocking her driveway, and she was incensed. And she said she had no idea whose car it was, but she couldn't get out of her driveway and she couldn't get to work. And my gosh, the 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 responses to her were mostly, uh, first of all, call the police. That was almost <laughs> call the police. And I'm thinking, what? again, that just seems a little call the police. Yes. Person after person said, you call the police, they'll ticket the vehicle, and then once it's ticketed, you can call a tow company and have that thing towed away. Ha! Uh, 
other people said to take her car and get right up to the car that was blocking her driveway and lay on the horn. Others said, if she didn't mind about her car too much, just back up and ram the damn thing. So it's that kind of anger. Um, and one poor soul posted something like, um, isn't it possible that the person didn't realize? It looks to me like your driveway is not really well marked and maybe they didn't realize that they were, you know, and vo voices like that have become few and far between. And if I'm remembering things correctly, that is exactly what it was because she later wrote everybody and said, yeah, it turns out it was some guy uh, who didn't, hadn't noticed and blah, blah, blah. Again, so no ill intent. Ah, she was told to sue him for lost wages because she couldn't get to her job. And I don't know. When they're not decrying, a lot of it is decrying people like me, dog walkers, and assuming uh, the worst of us. I swear there might be literally thousands of people uh, in my neighborhood who spend their uh, days and evenings situated at a window overlooking their sidewalk, just waiting for some dog walker to let their dog, uh, you know, do its business on their yard. Um, what's a dog supposed to do? I don't, where are we, where, where are we supposed to do? I, that's not even, I mean, I, you know, yeah, I, people who don't pick it up, I agree. But the invective just is amazing. It's amazing. And there was one real mysterious thing. And we'll see if any of you know the rest of this story. Might have been about a week ago. Someone posted from Highland Park that a picture of a man. And it said... He's been missing. He's been missing for, uh, you know, overnight. This is extremely unusual. Please, please uh, keep your eye out. The police have been uh, notified um, and blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God. The people start, oh, I'm so sorry. And we will keep our eye. Is it possible? You know, this concern, real concern. Then all of a sudden, something is posted from the Pittsburgh police saying that this man is no longer considered missing. But they were not saying anything else. And so then the neighborhood got curious, to say the least. What do you mean he ain't missing? What happened? Is he what? And, and people started asking questions and other people said, it's none of your business. And somebody else said, what do you mean it's none of my business? You asked me yesterday to go looking for him. And I did. And so it is my business. And why would all of a sudden, is he found or is he not found? And why did the police have this like strange, strangely non-communicative 
uh, message that they put out. Well, I haven't seen anything about it uh, in the news or anywhere, but I have heard from somebody, and I'm just going to put this out there, that someone said the guy who was missing for, what, two days, I believe, is like a pretty big mucky muck at BNY Mellon. <laughs> like an attorney, that, a legal counsel or something. I don't know. So that now is like, so if you're, uh, I don't know. I have to tell you, now when I heard that, then I thought, whoa, that sounds like a story, doesn't it? I mean, that's the journalist in me, not to mention the, uh, you know, curious person. A big mucky muck goes missing, and then the police say, never mind. It doesn't appear he's missing anymore, but we're not telling you anything else. <laughs> what the heck? So I'm just asking if anybody uh, knows anything about that, because now I want to know. So there's next door. If you don't belong, I mean, I I had a friend now gone who is was one of those people who, you know, was sort of a always looking at what was happening in the neighborhood, always interested in knowing who did what, always read all the real estate transactions to see who paid what for what. And I had told her about this when I first found it. I said, this would be to you like the greatest thing ever. And I don't know that she ever got on it. I think she might've been intimidated that it was an app, but anyway, they're going, uh, yeah, going to be on, the big board or something. Um, let me, I'm sorry. I mean, it's going to be one of those days sort of here, there, and nowhere in particular. Can I um, just give you a little history? It's some history that I learned and found interesting and, you probably won't find it as interesting. <laughs> I found it interesting because it concerns a man who was one of the first football players that I, as a child, was aware of. So when I saw the name, his name, in a in a headline, I I was curious and drawn to it because I hadn't heard the name in a long time. And it's an odd name. I thought it was when I was a, a kid. I'd never heard of anyone, first of all, named Emlyn. Emlyn. His name was Emlyn Tunnell. And I knew him because uh, he played for the Green Bay Packers, although his career started with, I believe, the New York uh, Giants. And he was, in fact, the first uh, black player, I believe, uh, who uh, who played for the Giants. Is that possible? And he later came to the Packers. And so I knew all I'd hear all these names of the Packer players. And Emlyn Tunnell was one of the early, you know, one of the earlier ones that I that I knew. 
and he retired in uh, 61. And he held all kinds of uh, league records uh, for punt returns, interception returns, uh, interceptions. God, I mean, he was, um, I guess the number of interceptions still is the second most in, in NFL history, which is really amazing. Um, but it turns out, and this is what the story was telling me, that this guy, he also was the first black player in the NFL Hall of Fame. Okay. Emlyn Cannell. But it, it, this was a story I read. It was from Stars and Stripes. The, uh, you know, the, the magazine of uh, the military. And turns out that this Emlyn Tunnell, before he became, broke all these records, including racial barriers, and before he did all that, he served in the Coast Guard during uh, World War II. And he could barely swim, it said. He was initially rejected. He was rejected by the Army and the Navy. And you know why? Because he had been a student at uh, the University of Toledo in 1942. is playing football for the University of Toledo. And he was, he broke his neck. And because, I don't know how you do, he, he was told, God knows you're never going to play football again. I mean, it's amazing he did anything again. But that turned out to be incorrect. So he decided to enlist. There was a war on. The Army said, no, you got a broken neck. We don't want you. The Navy said, no, you got a broken neck. We don't want you. The Coast Guard took him. And he served in it for three years, despite never, ever in his life having been on a boat and apparently, at the time, barely able to swim. Because he was a black man, he served as a steward's mate. I don't even know exactly what that means, but I suspect it means he was weighted on the white sailors, pretty much. I don't know. One day, the ship he's on is in Papua New Guinea. And it was carrying 6,000 tons of explosives. And a Japanese plane attacked. And a 27-foot hole was blown in the, sh- in the ship. The ship was set on fire. Pennell was, it was noted, 
saved the life of one shipmate who was set on fire himself. Chanel beat the flames out with his own hands and then carried the guy, a machinist, to safety. Two years later, he's in Newfoundland on another ship, and he jumped into the frigid waters there to save another shipmate who was drowning. I don't have any. So this guy who couldn't swim saves saves another guy who's drowning, and he himself gets hypothermia and blah, blah, blah for his heroic actions, the ship's commanding officer nominated him for the Silver Life-Saving Medal. And that in itself is extremely unusual because, as we know, black service members in World War II and beyond were often denied medals that would have most assuredly been given to them if they had been white. And in fact, after he died young at the age of 51, he received that medal as well as a, as well as the combat action uh, uh, shut up. Oh, no, it's not. Anyway, sorry. That's my landline going berserk. Okay. So, posthumously, he gets those. And and then after the war, this guy goes uh, back and plays football at the University of Iowa. And in 1948, he hitchhikes to uh, try out with the New York Giants and, uh, yeah, becomes the first black player ever signed by the Giants. He was selected for the Pro Bowl nine years. Helps the Packers win their first two championships. He then became the NFL's first black talent scout, first black assistant coach. Yada, yada, yada. And all of this, this whole story was because the latest Coast Guard cutter, which was, I guess, christened just recently, is the Emlyn Canal, and it will be uh, sent off to uh, the Middle East and Southeast Asia. So the USS Emlyn Canal, and that just blew me away because I had no idea that this name, this man that I knew just because he was one of, he was on the Packers in the late 1950s, 
um, was pretty remarkable. Pretty damn remarkable human being. And I just wanted to share that with you. As is so often the case, uh, a lot of these honors that came to him came after his death. He died in 1975. But clearly, his talent and his skills and what must have been an indomitable spirit and good heart uh, were obviously recognized. Emlyn Tennell. Man. Okay, that's, I, that, that's my little history. I don't know if you, you know, again. Uh, Lou says uh, about neighborhood, I mean, about next door. So I keep calling it neighborhood, right? I never can remember the name of it. Next door. I, she says, I look at it every once in a while. Nosy people galore. Small minds talk about people. Average minds talk about events. And great minds talk about ideas, says she. Yeah. Well, it is. It is. It, it, oh, my God, the back and forth that goes on. It, it, it's just crazy. Like 500 things can go back and forth because some dog walker uh, disposed of their dog's uh, contributions by putting it in someone else's trash. And generally, I mean, when they're doing that, that's because the trash has been set out. So they think, well, it'll be picked up tomorrow rather than me dragging it around here. And you would think that person had, I, I mean, it is, it's funny. It is, I think, mostly funny. But yeah, incivility, that be us now. Okay, what am I doing now? I'm up. Back to the business section. Spike Lee, he's in the news a lot these days because, first of all, he's he's it, the Cannes Film Festival is underway, and uh, Spike is uh, is heading the uh, festival jury. So any awards going out are going to go through him uh, in part as the head of the jury. And, uh, and again, anytime you're dealing with a black person, invariably you end up saying, and it is the first time a black person has led the Khan Festival uh, jury. But I want to talk about something else he's doing because you see him a lot. He's, he's, he's doing a lot of commercials. Perhaps you've noticed. And the New York Times business section <clears throat> tells us to get ready for a, another one. And in it, and I, I, the only reason I'm interested in this because I, I, I saw something the other day that I thought, you're kidding me. I swear, I saw something that said that there was like a cryptocurrency ATM, an automatic teller machine. Somewhere in Pittsburgh. Is that true? There's a place where you can go and 
you know, punch in some buttons and and get cryptocurrency. <laughs> and I thought it just seemed <clears throat> unlikely and and fanciful. And then I see this article today, <clears throat> and it's about how Spike Lee is directing and starring in a television commercial for something called, <clears throat> excuse me, Coin Cloud. And it's a company that essentially makes ATMs for buying and selling Bitcoin and other virtual currencies. Huh. And, I, you know, a reporter, um, I mean, in the, in the, in the, Commercial Spike Lee says stuff like old money's not going to pick us up. It pushes us down. You know what that means? And then he says the digital rebellion is here. And he's not the only one who's doing these kinds of commercials now. Uh, Tom Brady apparently has got one. Uh, Alec Baldwin. And these are for other companies dealing with uh, cryptocurrency. And uh, and and this has gotten Spike interested in it since he's touting it. So he said he does plan to invest <clears throat> in these virtual coins. Um, although I I note this because I had spoken of this I think last week. <laughs> he said he's going to invest in cryptocurrency but he's not going anywhere near those non-fungible tokens. I have spoken about non-fungible tokens, the NFTs, as they are known as, <clears throat> and how I just truly do not comprehend it. <clears throat> I guess things have value if we agree they have value, right? So NFTs <clears throat> now I value. I'm so sorry about my throat here. <clears throat> so um, Spike said this about NFTs. NFTs, man, I don't understand that. I'm old school. Well, he ain't old school if he's doing uh, commercials now for uh, ATMs for Bitcoin. He says, I'm so old school, I sometimes have to ask my children to turn on the TV. You know, all those remotes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I understand that, too. Um, oh, this is something I do want to tell you about. I had mentioned the other day that... Uh, Um, that I had listened to this interesting conversation with two black intellectuals uh, and how they were not mouthing the kinds of uh, truisms that um, <clears throat> you hear uh, constantly regarding race. <clears throat> so, uh, and it was fascinating to hear uh, two black uh, academics uh, 
being so contrarian, totally and uh, passionately about how the rest of us are now talking about race in America and how everything is about race, how it defines everything. And, the, and in their conversation, they're saying, you know, it's just, that's not true. It's not true. Yes, it is definitely a big part of things that go on in this country. But they pointed out that white people are getting killed by the cops left and right, too. Not in the same proportion to their population, but in actual, I mean, in actuality, if you were to see how many black, how many black people were killed uh, by police uh, in any given year and how many white people were killed by police in any given year, there's more white people who get killed by police, hands down. And that's why I was. I mean, that's a fact. So I was fascinated by seeing that Al Sharpton, ladies and gentlemen, who, as you know, if there is a black person shot, killed by cops, the Reverend Al is going to show up at some point. But just this week, Al Sharpton and the attorneys for George Floyd's family publicly mourned and eulogized a white teenager fatally shot in Arkansas by a sheriff's deputy. His name was 17, he was 17 years old. His name was Hunter Britton. And he was stopped, it was a traffic stop in a predominantly white community. He was unarmed and he's dead. And so Sharpton and Floyd's lawyers uh, go down, and 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 they they are doing this. And it is it's why it reminded me so much of what um, the conversation I had had seen. That it, what they were saying, this is not necessarily a, as much a racial issue. Is it's an issue about how? Badly trained our police are. It's not that we don't need police. It's that we need police who are, who are trained, who are capable of handling situations and not immediately reaching for their guns and killing innocent people.
So I don't know a lot about this. All I know is that this shows that Al Sharpton and Floyd's lawyers are somewhat in agreement with those two contrarian black intellectuals. They are trying to broaden this conversation. And I don't have here what Sharpton's eulogy was. But it's clear that Sharpton and Floyd's lawyers are intending to broaden this conversation we're having. That this is an issue not necessarily always about race, although heaven knows it sometimes is, but that this is happening to black people, white people, brown people. And it's really more an issue about police, their training, their tactics, I found that interesting. Okay, two things about repulsive uh, Trump kinds of people. There's a congressman named uh, Chip. Chip Roy. And he said about this uh, attempt to have an infrastructure deal, which Americans want, and which actually Republicans want. And he was decrying the fact that some Republicans... What do you mean? What are you doing? Shut up! He has a baby on the way, and... What he said? And he will definitely save some money on a new baby from the court. Who's your credit score's instant? Where is that coming from? Are you hearing that? Reported. tape. Of Republican Congressman Why is he saying that it is? Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh, I thought that was my phone. This is too funny. Okay, hang on. Why can't I get my phone off? Jesus. Okay, I know. We could put an entire thing together about instances of me making a fool of myself. Uh, not understanding or comprehending uh, technology, right? Or just being taken, obviously, turns out that this piece I had on Chip Roy was a CNN piece, and then it just started playing. I, I... Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, we could have a really sort of funny reel of... Uh, of, of me making an idiot out of myself. So this jerk uh, is going after fellow Republicans who would dare help pass an infrastructure package. And listen to what he said. 
18 more months of chaos. He's counting to the 2022 election. 18 more months of chaos and the inability to get stuff done. That's what we want. And he is unapologetic about saying that he intends, his sole purpose being in the Congress is not to legislate, which is what is the sole responsibility of the Congress, right? Is not to legislate. It's to obfuscate. It's to keep anything positive anything positive for the American people of getting through so that the Republicans can say that Biden didn't do a thing and they'll get elected. I mean, he's not alone. We know Mitch McConnell essentially has the same that's what they're doing now. And they're open about it. The, it is so it is contemptible. So they are sitting on in any way helping a bipartisan deal that will put Americans back to work, that will fix our crumbling infrastructure, that will help families. And they're doing it solely to stay in office where they do nothing. Eighteen more months of chaos and the inability to get stuff done. That's what we want. Now, I have to tell you that Republican and Democratic uh, Congress people over the course of American history would be disgusted and I would imagine stunned by that. And then in case you didn't understand it, he went on to say, for the next 18 months, Republicans' job is to do everything we can to slow down and block the Democrats' agenda and then win the majority. (laughs) 
reprehensible. Reprehensible. Mm. Incredible. I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I just sometimes am, am, am just blown away, blown away by it. Even though it, it's, it's a constant. Nothing new here. Nothing new to see here. Move along. It's just Republicans doing what they've come to do. Uh, they think their job is to stay in power, not necessarily to do anything, to stay, well, to do things for their rich friends. They're, they're actually trying to get in the way now, and they probably will, of giving more money to the IRS so the IRS can actually have the tools to go after all the rich people who are avoiding paying taxes. And the Republicans are saying, oh, yeah, going to do that while we're here. Oh. I was reading Gail Collins' uh, column today, and she uh, was did a column about that uh, C-SPAN uh, list of the best presidents, or you know, the ranking of U.S. presidents. And and, and she was pretty astonished, uh, as I was, that Donald Trump was not last. There were actually three guys beneath him. And and she tries to um, explain why those three guys ended up beneath Donald Trump. And it won't hold. I mean, I, I, I assure you <laughs> that in a year or two, when they do this again, he will be at the bottom. Because ahead of him... Um, is I mean he's ahead of who uh, uh, Franklin Pierce, who who was yeah a lousy president. His biggest thing was he was apparently extremely handsome, so he was he was called handsome Frank. And but as a president, he was a real washout. He was also a drunk. And he uh, he really found it impossible to take any kind of a a stand on slavery at all. So some of the, the guys that ended up uh, are people pre Civil War, which was yes a daunting uh, time to be sure. But the one that's always at the bottom is the only one from our great state, the Pennsylvania, James Buchanan. Widely believed to also have been gay because, of course, he was also the only bachelor president. <laughs> and he's always at the bottom because he was a lousy president, but and he didn't manage to stop the South from seceding. He, yeah. Well, who coulda? I'm just asking. If he didn't have that position, he would. I, he would. It, his, you know, sort of historical placement. Um, the odds are, and as she points out, I mean, he faced a near impossible uh, challenge. 
And the fact is, uh, put in a different era, he might not have ended up as the worst president. And the other one who's there is the poor guy, why am I blanking on his name, um, who who served, uh, was it Polk, who served about two minutes and so obviously didn't get anything done because he was dead. Uh, who was that? Harrison. That was it. It was, uh, yeah, William Henry Harrison. He, he didn't even serve. He didn't even get his hundred days. He was dead, gone, finished. That's it. So what? Why does he end up down there? I mean, you can't even. He should. He should just get an asterisk and be taken out. He didn't have a. He didn't have a chance. So he doesn't belong at the bottom. That's bull. Donald Trump belongs at the bottom. But she also uncovered. She she, she takes issue with where Thomas Jefferson is put in the standings. Because she hates him, and she, in part, she put she shared this little historical tidbit, which I have to admit is so disgusting that I want to pass it on to you, and then I'll say goodbye. Jefferson once wrote a letter, so we've got this in in his handwriting. He wrote a letter to his daughter. He said this, remember, not to go out without your bonnet, because it will make you very ugly, and then we should not love you so much. God, I know, I know, he was a man of his time, but that to think that, I mean, so starkly to tell women we're not so stark about it now, that your value is in your beauty and you wear your bonnet so that your skin will be as white as it can be. And this from a man who, of course, bedded his black slave and fathered what? How many? Six, seven children with her? I'm sorry. Yeah. All I got to say. Okay, I'm done. Thank you so much for uh, being there, if you are. And... Um, Stay dry and stay away from falling trees. God almighty. And uh, I'll talk to you again on Monday. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.